Hello and welcome to the Better Each Day podcast. As always, I'm your guest, Bruce Hilliard, with a very special guest today, the daughter of the blues, Shirley King. Her new album, Blues for a King, drops June 15th, 2020, and features some of the great blues guitarists of all time, except one, and the one I speak of, B.B. King. Please welcome the eldest daughter of the late, great B.B. King, Shirley King. What's going on in the background? Is somebody back there making noise? or No, uh, I'm inside the house, and the person that lives here with me is out there cutting the grass, trying to make it look good for me, because I'm going to do some of my interviews outside my house. So they trying to make the good. Oh, <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, I, I've been kind of like tucked inside my apartment here for for a long time now, and I'm I I wish I had a, a lawn to go out to. That'd be I, nice. I think we all have been tucked in too long, but I'm glad I'm tucked in for a little while because it gave me a chance to make this tour be the best I ever had in my whole musical career. So are you are you able to rehearse? No, because actually. The way this was done, Cleopatra decided to give me a record deal. And when they decided mm-hmm. to do that, this stuff kind of broke out. So what we did, we recorded, um, they sent tracks here, and I had to sing the song to tracks, not with a live band, with tracks. And then the studio sent it back to them, and they had their people to mix it where they are and add the guitar players to it out there. Because most of the guitar players they used were really five recording artists. So they didn't come in the studio with me. This was not a studio mix. It was done here in Chicago. Then the rest was done at Cleopatra Records. And I see some huge names on here. Yeah. Uh, Joe Lewis Walker, Robin Ford, Junior Wells, Pat Travers, yeah. Elvin Bishop. Yes. You have everyone. I, you know, the thing is, is that when they sent me these songs to do, I was going like, are they serious? These old songs. And then, you know, some of them was like totally like, uh, they call it Northern Soul. I had never even heard that name before. Then I went on the internet <laughs> no. and Googled And I'm like, man, these are songs like in the doo-wop days. You know, this is what we call doo-wop here in the state. But over there, it's very, very big and still going strong. And when I got through reading up on it, I said, mm, well, he got to know what he's doing because, you know, they asked, offered me. I didn't go to the record label. And... I couldn't really get the songs in my spirit because by me being a blues singer, I'm thinking they were going to send me blues songs to do or allow me to do some of the songs that I did on my own as a blues artist. And because they were paying me very nicely, I didn't argue with them. I tried tried to do the best I could on those songs because I just would have never imagined myself singing If All Right, Baby, and, and I'm feeling all right. And I feel good by Nina. Those are songs that I enjoy, but I never would have saw Shirley King singing them. Never. And so I I didn't know what to do at first, but I'm glad I went on and did it because they did not tell me who they was going to add, but they told me they were going to select people that had either did something with my dad or names bigger than me. So when the record comes out, it could get recognition just because of the players that were on there. And that's what they did. I had nothing to do with it. It was totally clear Patrick's planning and doing. Oh, yeah. 
Sounds great. <laughs> you did him proud. Oh my God! 
if I keep on hearing that, I'll start liking what I did because I was telling uh, the PR person. I'm <laughs> you like, should. I don't like this album. I do not like the way I, I, I mean, I could have did better than it. I, I don't like the way I was singing, but maybe they did something that I didn't get a chance to hear because everybody's saying the same thing. And I'm proud that I am getting that because my dad always told me, don't let people tie you into being a genre of music. Do music. That way you can work everywhere. If you just be a blues artist, you might not can work in nothing but blues arenas. And I'm so glad that he gave me that advice and I'm so glad that I took it and I'm so glad that Cleopatra came in my life and did that for me because I never would have did it on my own. Well, those were wise words. And the name of the album is Blues for a King. It's going to be out on vinyl, correct? As well as CD and... surprising thing. I'm like, what? I'm going to have, before I leave this earth, I'm going to have a vinyl? Oh my God! I know. I know. (laughs) Somebody said, what if they got you doing all these old songs where I said, shut up! I'm doing something that ain't nobody else done. They were looking at it from what has happened already. And I'm glad they did it that way because like I said, with everybody doing things the same way, if you don't do nothing different, which is what they had my father to do, because he had a very smart manager, Mr. Sid Steinberg, was very smart. What he took my dad and did, my dad had worked his heart out to get where he was going, but he hadn't gotten anywhere because the ideas of him trying to make it happen for himself didn't happen. But when he got with the right manager, Man, it just took off, and it's exactly the same time that I am old now is that my father's career took off and and ran away. He was 69 years old, and I am 70. I just turned 70, so my career is taking a boot at the same identical time that my father's uh, career took the boot. He was really that old? When he he had been touring all, you know, all that time up until then, but he was getting ripped off by promoters. He wasn't making real money and all that. But Sid Steinberg got his, put his hands on him when he was going uh, living in New York about 60. He was 68 going on 69. And Sid turned his whole career around because right after that, you know, the thrill is gone. He did. He started putting him on on music with top artists. He didn't grab blues people trying to make it like my dad. He grabbed top artists and connected him, Eric Clapton and Bono, you know, all these type of people that were bigger than my father, but all felt honored to do something with him. And that's how his name went into a whole different category. It would have stayed on a bluesy thing. It would have been him working all his life and still dying, needing to be buried by somebody because he didn't, you know, earn the right money. It would have been the regular blues story, you know, because as blues artists, we don't make a lot of money. We just work all the time. My dad said, you don't say I'm sick and don't go to work. You die and then you don't go to work. So, (laughs) oh man, he used to he used to tell me stuff because when I got into this, I didn't do it because I wanted to sing the blues because as a, a, a child being uh, neglected, not neglected, but never being able to have your father's attention. And the reason being because he was busy trying to be famous and be a blues singer. I hated the blues. I didn't want to, you know, ever, ever try to do anything dealing with the blues. And what happened was when I came to Chicago, 
saturated with the blues. Everybody on the circuit famous with the blues. I didn't meet no R&B people, no jazzy people, all blues people. So I'm sitting around, I'm in a town where if you're going to do anything, you better do the blues. So I, I chose to dance for 21 years, thought I was going to get away from it. I thought I was going to get famous being a dancer, but that didn't work. I, I danced for 21 years. I was at the top of my game. I was a dancer on shows with top names, but it didn't get me to travel. It didn't get me recognition. It just kept me B.B. King's famous daughter as a dancer opening for different groups because we didn't have uh, just good top players on the show. When we did shows here in Chicago, it was cabaret style where you dressed up really, really nice and all the artists that would come and perform were show people. You know, the, um, the, the I mean, anybody that was anybody, Jackie Wilson, everybody that performed here in Chicago hmm. put on a show. So I got a chance to be dancers on most of those shows. And after that ran out for me and I didn't want to do that anymore, I went in a blues club and just started watching the blues singers. And they looked like they wasn't looking like they were becoming successful, but they looked like they was having fun. And since I got to have fun, I said, hey, blues might not be so bad. (laughs) Plus my boyfriend married my best girlfriend. So I think that's when I got the case of the blues, but I didn't know it. But that's what it took. I, I went to went to Kingston Nine, one of the most renowned, famous clubs here in Chicago, where anybody of uh, anybody wanted to play there because at that time, that's when all the tourists would come there and take acts from Chicago to other countries, uh, especially overseas. And I went there and I was watching my girlfriend one night, and I kept begging her to let me get up and jam. And I forgot I didn't know the blues songs and I didn't know about keys and I, I didn't know how to sing the blues. I just wanted to do it because she was having fun doing it and everybody was liking her. And one night she let me get up on that stage and I ran up there. I was so excited. I started singing, got my mojo working and forgot. I didn't know the words to the song. So I just started fucking. Uh-huh. I started making it look good to the people though. And then after a while I said, Wow, I know what I can do. I'm going to throw in a little of this dancing. I'm going to do a little of my dancing, shaking, and make this song come alive. And when I got to, I got a standing ovation. Oh, my God. Standing ovation. <laughs> That's beautiful. I see you recorded at last at a James Classic. Now, that intimidated the heck out of me. That song... <laughs> has always been uh, when I was out working or touring or doing anything, people always wanted me to sing that song. And I flat out turned it down. I would never sing that song. I think I did uh, I'd Rather Go Blind once. But those two songs, I felt like only belonged to Edda Jane. I admired anybody that tried to do a remake on it, but I never was impressed by anybody else doing that song besides Etta Jane because I met Etta Jane when I was 13 years old and I saw her stand on stage and sing that song and I just never wanted to mess with that song. But when Cleopatra sent me the track, of course, I had heard the track over and over. I wasn't prepared to sing it, but I said, I'm going to do Shirley King on this because I'm not at a game. I'm not B.B. King. I can only do something the way I can do it. And I fumbled, and I did it. I didn't like what I did, but I did it because, as I said, I was getting paid 
and I wasn't getting paid to tell them what to do. I was getting paid to do what they told me to do. So I went on and did it to the best of my ability. you ready for your next interview now that uh, your, your lawn's all mowed and everything or whatever they're doing you know out what? there. <laughs> when it comes to interviewing, I don't even have to sing. I can go all over the world doing interviews that'll make your radio station jump off the line because I love I talking it. about my daddy. I get so excited in the life that I have lived from being B.B. King's daughter, not just because I'm his daughter, but the things I've done while my daddy was here to see me start growing. And I get so excited about that. So I told John, 
Interviewing? Hey, make all of them interview. Give me a hundred and something. Give me one for every day of the week. So I have to ask this question. I'm a I'm a guitar player. I learned from the greats off the albums and stuff. And you mentioned Eric Clapton. He was one of them. But B.B. King was huge, and he cross-pollinated all of rock music. Uh, I guess the question is, he was so much to everybody, but to you, was he just dad? No, and you know, uh, not to stray away from the question, because I learned that from my dad, too. When you be in interview, answer the questions and stay on the subject. But this is a little bit on the subject, because I've heard too many musicians say, oh, my God. I cannot do that one note that B.B. King have made famous that nobody can do. How can you not get a single note right, which he always complained because he didn't feel like he was the best of guitar player. So I think me and my dad got a lot in common. We don't have the confidence in ourselves that other people have because people always tell me how they love my voice and how great and and sometimes I don't feel that. And my father used to always say, well, if I could play like so-and-so, if I could. He never thought he was the best of guitar player. But he had one thing going that nobody else could touch. He had the B.B. King note that everybody told me. They could not get it. And I thought that was quite amazing to be one thing, just one thing in your life, and stay humble with that. My dad didn't try to play. He didn't get on stage and say, well, if what you call him was here, this is the way he has sound or whatever. He never did that. Him and Lucille found out where their spot was, and they kept it until the day he left this earth. So I think when I listen to guitar players uh, play, and they admire my dad, and they'll play a little bit around it. You know, they'll touch at it a little bit. But I've never heard anybody because I heard my dad's guitar playing all my life. And I never heard anybody that could get that exact thing that my father had. Now, some have came pretty close, but I've never heard anybody actually be able to embrace that note, that one note that B.B. King had. And I know what you're talking about. He could do a lot with very little, but the thing is, and I think you do this as well, you connect with people. People get it. They they did. They would tell me on, you know, when I would go out touring, uh, people would always say, oh, my God, you have people eating out your hand and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, hey, I was just making them have fun. And that's, that's the way you get people to eat out your hand. Oh, yeah, I can do that with my eyes closed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need no help making people. But I always saw my dad do the same thing. He could just be saying the most outrageous things. Like when he used to go on stage and talk about uh, the the sex thing, uh, whatever, the, uh, what's the Viagra? I mean, he would have people yeah. sitting there laughing and enjoying and going out, getting the product because he said it. I remember when he was <laughs> talking about the needle. People swore the needle didn't hurt because B.B. King said it didn't hurt. So my dad <laughs> could convince anybody through a conversation that it was just good to be here tonight, and I'm glad to be your host for tonight. He had that going, and I watched that all the time. So I guess some of that stuff I picked up along the way, and some of it was just inside of me because I enjoy seeing the audience getting happy, going crazy, singing, dancing, 
over somebody standing there telling me how good I can sing. I don't even concentrate on trying to sing good. I concentrate on putting on a good show. I want people to leave my show saying it was unbelievable. They've never seen nothing like that before. And I work all the parts of it. I do a little comedian on this. I'm a little comedian on stage. I'm a singer. I'm a dancer. I'm an actor. I'm all the combination of things I know that make people happy at a show. I reach out for that. And that's my goal. I sit and watch my audience and I just about know what to go out there and say. Well, if some people did what I did, they would get in really trouble. But I just go on there and do something. Sometimes I have to sit back and say, did I do that? Mm-hmm. Did I say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to see your show. Oh, my God. They're, they're, they're like something you would almost think. You know, people keep telling me I should have been a, a comedian. I'm thinking, you getting it all in one. Shut up. Before I go and be a comedian, yeah. then you won't get the blues singer no more. But I enjoy I enjoy stage. I, I miss it so bad. But right now, I'm glad that God have gave me something to work on. So when I do come back out here, when people thought they, thought they liked me before this uh, hit and everything, but when I go back out here, I think I'm going to feel extra in what I'm doing. And knowing the people that I got on board with this CD, maybe from time to time, they might come in and play with me, and that's just going to put the icing on the cake. So I'm totally excited about this CD, and I want to every day go on my knees and thank God for my father teaching me how to be an artist and how to stay humble and how to realize that I'm not famous unless people like me. And if people like me, I can work until the day I leave this earth. And he didn't just tell me that. He showed me. My dad was not one of those people tell you, I'm telling you what to do and you do what I tell you. He was a shower. He always believed in telling you what to do. And then you could go and watch and he would show you what to do. And I, I'm honored to have both of those things working for me with this Cleopatra record deal.
for a king it comes out what june 19th isn't that another amazing thing what was supposed to happen they were supposed to have it released for may because i build everything now around a normal person i was just telling another friend of mine that i'm looking forward to bringing on board with me because he has a very unique spirit kindred spirit of my dad i mean it's something i felt when i first met him slam allen i i actually felt him doing some stuff that would be as close to my dad as anybody could get because he has that kind of spirit going. But on May the 15th, when my father passed, for the last uh, five years, I've been doing something special. Every May the 15th, like for his 94th birthday, I got Google to have millions of people to wish him a happy birthday. And that hasn't happened since he left this earth. Since he passed, people are not blowing him up like they do with Michael Jackson and all these other people. I don't understand. He worked harder than any show business person I know. But nobody hardly talks about him anymore since he's been gone. So I've been on a mission to keep my father's legacy alive since he left. And every May the 15th, I try to do something special. The CD was supposed to be released then. It got pushed back because of uh, the COVID. And all of a sudden, they said, well, we're going to release it June the 19th. Hallelujah. I'm giving him a Father's Day <laughs> present. There you go. <laughs> One way or the other, I want to celebrate my daddy's legacy in any way I can. I try to have it May the 15th, Father's Day, or B.B. King's birthday, September the 16th. I always try to do very special things for him every year since he's been gone. You're the best, Shirley. I enjoyed talking to you, and, and thank, thank you. you so much for your time. Me. Hmm? I, promote, I promote myself very highly. I learned how to not depend on nobody to do that for me. I don't have a PR person. I'm my PR person. So I put off my singing hat and become the PR person, and then when it's time to sing, I put the other hat back on and let, you know, let that, you know, but I wear all my hats. I should have been born in Jamaica. <laughs> Why Jamaica? Well, they say in Jamaica, people don't just uh, get assigned one thing. People wear many hats in Jamaica as far as people that work and stuff. If they have a restaurant, they'll go and be the server. They'll go in the kitchen and cook a little bit. They'll come out and manage the, the, the people on the floor. You know, I've always heard that Jamaicans are hardworking people, and they don't feel like one spot is enough. They try to do as many things as they can. Well, that's good philosophy, but you should be your own PR person because enthusiasm is contagious. There's a lot of contagious stuff going around right now, but we need some uh, Shirley King, you know? We need a, a good I shot of that. I like that. You know what? That might be my next song. My, my That might be my next blues hit. We need some Shirley King. I got people saying that already. So I'm going to say because you said it. You wouldn't know how to say that unless it was really true. I believe you. I'm going to work on that. We need the most. <laughs> you got it. Ooh, I like that. Mm. 
<laughs> okay. Enjoy your day. Be Thank safe. You. you enjoy your day and God bless. And I look forward to meeting you one day and hopefully to talk yeah. to you again soon. I'll come and give you a hug. Ooh, I like hugs. Now, don't hug me the right way now because I'm single, you know. And, and if you marry so someone. Oh, ooh, well, what, what, what year and, and what time you want to meet up? I'm going to get me a plane right now and come there. You single? Oh, baby. And you're ready? Okay. Oh, yeah, come on, baby. We need to get this together. Ooh-wee. And you're yeah. a good time player? Oh, Lord have mercy. I'll be calling you. got you. it. I'll be calling you on your cell phone very soon. Help me in. Make a better stay in Listening to the Better Each Day Podcast Radio Show with Bruce Hilliard. We'll be back with a new horizon, but until then, honor the future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. And we're all just trying to make the next day a bit better. <laughs>